Hey guys, it's Jeremy from Rentscale. The episode you're about to hear was recorded at the end of our annual retreat in Austin earlier this year. Now, Jordan, my business partner, and I had our leadership retreat followed by two days with the entire team. If you've adopted traction or EOS in your business, you'll be familiar with this format. Now, on the last night, after some indoor skydiving and dinner with the team, my voice was almost gone. And of course, that's when we thought, let's record another podcast. Now, we recorded this around the kitchen table at our Airbnb in Lake Travis, and we had a set of professional microphones all ready to go. And we felt great about it. And it was only after the episode that we realized the recording device had turned off halfway through. Now, luckily, someone had set an iPhone on the table as a backup, and that's what we have here today. So the audio isn't exactly perfect quality the way we hoped it would be, but the content was so good that we decided we had to release it. So hope you guys enjoy. Two-way, two-day retreat it went different than I thought it was going to go, as every single one does. But in the end, I'm incredibly happy that we did it. No regrets. Really happy with where we landed, and I'm learning things every single time. I kind of walk into the two-day retreat thinking what I'm going to get is a specific plan, and the thing that I end up getting is it looks different and it feels different than what I expected. Um, right now, kind of just think about what's fresh rather than revisionist history 24 or 48 hours from now. I think the thing that sticks in my mind is the need for collaboration and creating enough room for everybody to contribute rather than trying to walk in with all the answers. That's the main thing that is really blaring loud for me in my thought process about this. What's, what's the takeaway for you guys? Well, I, I would be remiss if we did not set the stage for where we're at and what we've done, what, what the impetus was for this. So we are sitting around a wonderful dining room table in a house near Lake Travis, overlooking the lake. It was fantastic. Uh, kudos to you, Jordan, for finding this wonderful place. But we're having a good time, right? Like we hold ourselves up, we're having a really good time, an inspirational place and that's important right i don't know if we would have given ourselves permission to have the ideas and you know uh just kick around ideas that we would have had if we were like in our office yeah, so this, this is really interesting while we were here we talked about determinative factors determinative factors meaning when in the context that we were talking about it was about sales there's a million different factors that relate to sales, best practices, but the determinative factors are the smallest, fewer number of pass-fail things. Like, for example, picking up the phone. You're a master of sales. You've spent a lifetime developing acumen. If you do not pick up the phone, you will not get the sale. In this case, you highlighted environment, which is really interesting. We're great at running EOS meetings. We've perfected it. But if the environment is that we're doing it in the basement, in a cold basement, that alone is going to overwhelm a ton of intentionality, practice, et cetera. I love that. I felt the boost of the environment in a big way. Huge. We were fortunate enough to have amazing 
whether blue skies every single day. I don't think, I don't think I've seen a cloud in five days. And I feel like that environment, the house, the opening the doors, Jason and I running every single morning has affected the environment. So you get around the house together, you get in close proximity, you spend a lot of time, you do all this stuff, you're running around, doing these things, you warm people up, then the good ideas happen. So the, the word they used was house. We are in a house, we are staying at a BRBO. We could be staying at a really nice area, it could be Santa Clarita, it could be Santa Barbara, at a, at a Ritz Carlton, you know, that's one way to do it. That's a great environment. Yeah. In this case though, the function of staying at a VRBO is that we're generating a sufficient level of intimacy and casuality that creates a little more trust. room, trust, you know, yeah. breakfast together. That's not gonna work at every company, but it works well, for us. Let's just share a crazy story. We woke up this morning, Jason and I, decided we're gonna be the time to go for a run. And I know we're supposed to be talking about EOS, right? But but what we're talking about, in my opinion, is what facilitates what we wanna share with you, the results, right? So Jason and I had an agreement. I had a wonderful morning of reading. Jason comes up, we're stretching out to go for a run. Melissa comes running up the stairs. And Melissa says, hey, do you remember when you're in Phoenix and you mentioned scorpions? And she's like, I think there might be a scorpion in my room. And we looked at each other, we thought we were crazy. And basically there was a true scorpion in Melissa's bedroom. And we went down there, we evacuated the scorpion, we took it up. And you know what, there was so much rapport and craziness around the fact that there was a scorpion in our house. So that will be a legend that we'll talk about forever. Jordan, you brought up a great point. We are in our house, this is the decision we made. The environment dictates the situations that can happen. And Everything flows from that. Yeah, it's interesting because when you start thinking about the types of conversations that you have at an offsite, right? The types of conversations where we're planning about the business, we're, we're talking about our thoughts, we're giving our ideas, we're brainstorming, we're challenging each other's ideas and assumptions. There's that high level of trust that's needed to have meaningful conversations like that. And one of the things that gets you that high level of trust is going in and taking care of a scorpion. <laughs> Right, or being able to, to do yeah. these things, right? I think one of the benefits, and as we talk about the results and why spaces like this are so important, uh, is you can have the space, but if we need to trust each other, you're not gonna have the quality of conversations that you need to have. In the environment and the space and the time together facilitates a level of that trust. Right. So that when it comes time to having the hard conversation, yeah. it comes time to having that argument from different perspectives on things about the business, there's a level of trust that's much deeper and we've gotten there versus popping into a basement somewhere just driving that conversation. Exactly. When we come to these events, we are asking for participation and collaboration. We're asking for people to show up in a way which is conducive with the way that we want to build the company and what we personally believe is aligned with actually getting there, which is having everybody in the group come and bring answers rather than assuming that the founders, the CEO, or the hippo in the room, the highest paid person is the one with the ideas. That assumes a certain level of vulnerability. For To ask people to share ideas is to ask people to publicly engage in an act where they could be wrong, they could be humiliated, they could be any number of things that they make, make up about that circumstance and that act. And if you don't have a culture that generally rewards vulnerability and relational proximity, it generally isn't conducive 
with being vulnerable in participating and having a participatory culture. So to me, that's the connection. So this is actually a perfect segue. Let's talk about what we actually did. All of us have some experience with EOS. This company hasn't been around for that long, but for as long as it has been around, we have practiced on EOS. Some of us have experience outside of that. Jason, I know that you've been in other, other companies that have practiced EOS. EOS is a proxy for having an intentional structured approach to management rather than just cowboy style and shooting from the hip, which is what all of us have done in some capacity at some point in time. What we brought to this meeting was some planning, some preparation. Jeremy, you and I talked ahead of time. We didn't walk in cold to figure it out here. I've done that before. That's frustrating to show up, to show up and figure it all out in real time. So there was pre-work that went into it, and yet when we showed up, there was more work to do. There's progressive clarity. And yet even when the team shows up, some of the things that we thought we were really clear on and were set in stone needed to get changed. That can create some whiplash. That can create some negative feelings or some lack of control. Or that can be a really exciting place to just kind of be open to exploring and committing to the truth, even if it isn't something you can grip down on and predict. As you think about kind of those, those shifts over time, what I observed about you is that like you stayed open to kind of that process rather than getting entrenched. Because that's always the opportunity is to get entrenched in the thing that I've been doing for the last two years or that I thought, I thought of five minutes ago. How do you maintain that, that openness? Because that's one of the things that I appreciate about you. I, pre I appreciate it. These meetings as a leader, I, I've been a CEO of many companies, including all every company I've ever been a part of has been a very creative company. When you run when you run creative companies, you invite people into the organization that are full of ideas. Let's do this. Maybe we should do that. Hey, this isn't working. We should try this. That's what we want in our team. We want people on our team, like Jason, who I celebrate, constantly bringing new ideas. The balance is if you're bringing a new idea on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and you're never executing, you're never falling through, right. right? There's no progress. So you know this, the very first quarterly meeting we had when we had a, a team, right? So we had a, the first quarterly meeting was you and I, the second quarterly meeting. And I basically told the team, I said, guys, this is your venue for bringing new ideas. You know, I, we are a company that wants new ideas. You will drive the company forward. It won't be Jordan and Jeremy. It will be you, right? But it can't be a random Tuesday that we're trying to execute on a plan. You show up with all your ideas. So as leaders of the company, this is when we want the team to challenge every single assumption, bring every single idea. And then we agree as a group, everybody owns the outcome. Everybody owns the results. And then we commit and we execute with maniacal focus, like absolute clarity. We talked about what made our, the fourth quarter of 2019 our best quarter ever, which basically in one quarter, we doubled the revenue of the company. And we talked about what, what it was, right? It was insane activity. It was laser focus. It was teamwork, right? It was doing more of less in an insane way, in a deep way that worked. And it wasn't people bringing up a bunch of ideas on a Tuesday. Maybe we should rethink everything we're doing, which is 
I'm, I'm, I'm sure that people are listening to this or running a small business feel like their team is constantly challenging what they're doing. When you give your team a outlet, a deadline, bring all of your ideas, everything is on the table, and then we are going to hunker down and we're going to execute with maniacal focus for a quarter. That's the only way I've ever grown a company and created the kind of results we've created in the last quarter, where we literally doubled the revenue of a year in a single quarter because we had laser focus with the decision, with alignment, with the whole team. So who am I as a leader to ask my team to focus that way without giving them an, like a complete venue to challenge literally everything we do? And Jordan, we were joking about this. Like all of a sudden we were, we were joking that our business model and our product offering was questioned three times over two days. And we were okay with it. And we, we saw it all the way through and it was open-mindedness because that's where that, that is where the exponential growth comes from in a company, right? When you separate exponential thinking from exponential execution, the, the events, the EOS quarterlies are about exponential thinking. And then the rest of the quarter, is about exponential execution. So for me, those that's the boundaries, that's the game we're playing. Those are the ground rules. If I did, if I wasn't open-minded, if I wasn't listening to everything the team was bringing, then I would not be playing the game that is designed to win in business. So anyway, that's how I think about it. And that's why I'm so passionate about this. Jason, I would love to hear from you. Um, key team member, finger on the pulse of everything. The results that we're delivering are dramatically dependent on you. We constantly come to you for feedback. Jordan and I bake up some crazy visions, right? So that's the balance, that's the relationship. You get to be close, you get to execute, you get to get this data. We, we dream up some visions, but it is a balance. We have a vision that you can't see happening and it's probably not gonna work. Um, you can often get locked into the daily execution, not see the vision until we remind you of like, you know, maybe there's something different, right? So when you come here, um, give us your opinion. Are you excited to bring your ideas? Is it painful to hold your ideas for like 90 days? Like, what is it like knowing that, you can, that everything's on the table, but that it's all based on the reality of execution? I think, you know, there's that, that space to be able to, to have the creative conversations that are, is really valuable, right? So there's absolutely certain things that I know that is a process of iteration. There's always new things that we can be doing, new ideas we can be exploring, new ways we can deliver our products, new ways our products can grow and change and shift. Um, and yet, it's really hard to have those conversations about making those changes sometimes in flight. Sometimes we do. Sometimes we, we make the call in the middle of the quarter to say, nope, let's change this. Let's add this thing. This is a new idea. It's too good. We don't want to hold it back. But there's other times where we need the space to have the, the conversation. And I think it's really nice knowing that um, it's worth holding back and saying, okay, let's, let's explore this idea. Like if we're really going to continue to grow the business, if this, if this idea has legs, then, you know, knowing that my worth in the company is not bringing new idea every single meeting. I think sometimes that's how people might feel right? with these types of meetings or whatever that you always got to come up with the next idea, right? But ideas are cheap and execution is where everything is at. 
And so I think for me, it's realizing that in this space is that opportunity to bring the ideas, but the ones that only make it out of these meetings are the ones that we can execute on. And so it makes you refine your ideas, right? It makes you actually spend the time, think about it. Is this worth it? Does this really work? Versus we've all been in those meetings with that idea person and they drop 20 ideas and everybody's like, oh my gosh, did you hear John's new idea? That's great. And everyone passed John's idea and, you know, makes John feel good, but John's idea never sees the light of day. And that's just a company culture that, and then we've all probably experienced those in some way, that's shape, right. or form. And that's, that's detrimental, right? Because John looks good, but John can't execute worth crap. And so I think what we've done is we've really built a, a, a culture and an ecosystem with meetings and spaces like this that celebrates ideas, celebrates innovation, but we've got some parameters around it on, hey, that's a great, now, now how do you execute that? And once we start getting into execution, we realize not every idea is a great idea. Not every day is going to see the light of day. And our worth, who we are, our, our, this is the trust piece where we started all this. We can share all that and know that it's, um, it's not dependent on where we stack up. And I'll say that, I wish I knew to execute. Like, there may, John may have 10 great ideas. We talked about this today, uh, talked about this today specifically. Resources are limited, right? The yes. recipe for disaster is to take limited resources and stretch them across multiple ideas, right? So what we've done in this meeting that, that I've seen that, that I know is important is that there's always an excess of good ideas, always. The hard work is not identifying ideas. That's important work. Yeah, it's important work. Don't, don't get me wrong. In your organization, if you don't have enough good ideas, that's a problem. You need people to have ideas. So that can be a problem. We don't even understand what that's like at rent scale because we're so full of great ideas. But but I've been a part of those. So I just want to say that a lot to the listeners. If you're not getting multiple people with good ideas and you're not listening to them, that's a problem. But most of us, 80% of companies have enough good ideas. It's having the discipline to realize that what you say no to is more important than what you say yes to. And that, that came out of this meeting, which I'm sure we'll come back to in a minute. And we'll talk about the theme that came out of this. But... I love that you said that. It's, I, I watch you, Jason. I watch the rest of the team. You may bring an amazing idea. I may bring an amazing idea. Jordan, may, we've, we all did it. We've all brought ideas that we care about. And then we debate them. And we appreciate that our idea is not the one this quarter. Yeah. And we're okay with that. And there's no ego. And we're like, basically, okay, you're right. It's not a priority. We don't have the resources to do it. Let's do three ideas, 100%, instead of nine ideas, 30%, which we know is a recipe for disaster. And it's about like having a system to save those ideas, to come back to them later, right? And then everybody, everyone on the team, which I love, it, it may have been your idea, Jason. I will execute on your idea 100%, even though my idea didn't win, right? That's trust. And that's... Super important. That's what came out of today. But that's vulnerability. There's no jockeying for position. Jason doesn't need to have the idea yeah. and be able to point to it was his idea because he's not going to get. If there's not going to be some punitive action based on yeah. his ability to prove. There's no idea bonus here at Rentscale. I think you know the other thing is, and this is something we've seen and, and we've been talking about is there's kind of this important element of, of our within leading spaces like this that we know what does the next quarter really need, and, and what do, you know we talked about this as kind of our 2020 plan 
So this is a much heavier idea centric because we're planning the year, right? But we were reflecting on our, our Q4 offsite, and that was extremely tactical because we needed to have that maniacal focus to hit the goals that we wanted to hit to grow the business we wanted to grow. So I think it's really important for, for anyone listening and as, as you're leading offsites and thinking about this is, you know, what is what is that key thrust of the offsite? What does this one really need to be? And honestly, I think it depends on the size of your organization. You know, if you are a small company like we are, it's probably going to end up being like every other. It's going to be idea-driven, and the other ones are going to be more tactical, right? Because six months from now, our company is going to look drastically different, and we might need to go back to the drawing board on some things, come up with some new ideas. Other companies might say, no, we can only do this once a year, and it's going to take us three quarters to execute on what it is that we come up with for a plan. So I think a lot of it comes down to, to business size and what's needed, but it's really important that you know that walking in to the yes. offsite. What's the key thing that we need? And it all comes down to having clarity on what your goals are, what your rocks are, what we're trying to do, what's our revenue goals, and that determines what it's gonna to be to, to be able to get us there. But that was a big takeaway for me in this space as well. So everybody wants clarity. Everybody wants to be realistic. Nobody wants to overcommit. And yet there is a repeated pattern in business proven for me working across a variety of companies and proven within this company because we're not here to act like we figured it all out. When we look at actual rock completion rate, this last quarter, we were less than 50% in terms of actual rock yeah. completion rate. We're a failure. For me, the gap and the difference about realism is around scoping and taking the time to think through, to break down the rock at a high enough level of fidelity that you can say, is this realistic to get done this quarter? Who's going to do it? How many other rocks are they need to going to carry? And at what time increment will these things need to be done? That is how you actually are able to predict, assign, and hit goals. We have seen in the absence of milestoning, it is possible to be bullish and positive and optimistic right up until the last point in the end of the quarter when you determine the rock is not going to actually get hit. That's not reality. If the rock isn't going to get hit, you should be able to know that well in advance. So scoping to me is a massive part of this being a reality-based exercise as opposed to a lot of good intentions and aspirations. And by scoping, you mean... Basically, we, we all have an idea, like the three of us are at the table right now. We're literally sitting at fiscal table. And we say, oh, we're going to, uh, we're going to basically uh, build a program to 100 customers, right? That's a, that's a realistic conversation. Sure, start a podcast, right? right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly, whatever it is. We're, we're gonna build this program to 100 customers. But what, what is the detail? What is the falsifiability, as you like to say, uh, what does that look like? How do we know it worked? Is it a hundred customers that have said yes, you know, verbally? Is it a hundred people that have paid? Is it a hundred people that have paid and been onboarded? Is it a hundred people that have been paid, onboarded, and recurring revenue? Like all different things, right? That's where we start talking about scoping. So, so here's a great example about that one. We were talking about a podcast goal today, and by the end of Q1, right? We're going into Q1. This is scoping. 101, and I love that Jordan brought this up. We're in the weeds now. Like, we're going to talk about a lot of things, but we're in the weeds. We're going to create a podcast, and we like what's going to be a success? Yes, you can say we'll launch a podcast. That's a really, in my opinion, like launching a podcast is like, okay, it's a quarterly goal. 
uh, I did nothing for uh, 12 weeks and six days. And on this, the last day of the quarter, I record myself talking into a mic and I put an iTunes and I launched it. I did it. <laughs> I hit the goal. I launched the podcast, right? No, not at rent scale, right? We said, what would make it worth it? We have an annual goal. An annual goal is to basically double revenue, right? We have all kinds of other crazy goals, uh, you know, to be able to have a certain amount of recurring revenue, to be able to generate a number of new leads. And so we said, how does the podcast fit into that annual goal? Well, we expect that podcast to basically be generating actual sales consultations for us. So we started talking about it. We said, and Jordan had a great point. He's like, I want at least 10 episodes out by the end of the quarter, right? And so I said, well, how is that going to contribute to the sales goal? And he said, well, let's have, you know, a thousand downloads. And I said, well, that's a great goal, but how many sales consultations will that generate, right? And I just, we, we, we all went around. We kept pushing on it and then, you know, basically said, okay, well, if we're going to have 10 episodes out, we, then it's going to be once a week. Let's, let's launch it February 15th. And then it's a basic, any element, any third grade student can pull up a calendar and see that if you launch the podcast in the middle of February, you will not have 10 episodes out by the end of the month. And so Jordan said, well, no problem. We'll release three episodes or five episodes at once, which is actually a great podcast strategy, which I won't go into detail about. When somebody sees a podcast, they want to hear more than one. But this was an argument. This was a debate, a discussion that we all had five of us saying, that's not going to work. Won't be enough. It's 1,000 downloads. It's 2,000 downloads. Well, if we have 2,000 downloads and we don't get any consults for our sales team, is it worth it? It was an insane debate. That's what scopability is, right? That's what you're talking about. And I think the, the muscle here that, that anyone that's listening that needs to be exercised is so often spaces like this, we think goals, right? We get, we get really down to kind of get excited about setting goals and, and what does it mean to set a goal? And then when we often fail is we don't have the scope we don't have it defined of what it means to actually achieve that goal. And I'll say I've, I've seen that happen far too many times where you set a goal, everyone agrees on, yep, that's the goal. Like and we feel, podcast. Right. And we feel really good about that goal. Like, awesome. This is going to be really great. And then you don't come back to that goal until the next offsite. And so there's no, no milestones. There's no kind of thing. But the, that's the hard part. Anyone can set a goal. Again, the hard work is in the scope. The hard work is in testing, is this realistic? The hard work is getting alignment around what does it mean to achieve that goal? And that's really where the rubber meets the road. Like if you're looking for that thing that's gonna help you grow and scale to that next level, it's in that type of work. So let me ask this, you, this, this is exciting. Obviously, we're talking about a goal of launching a podcast on a podcast that you're probably <laughs> listening to right now. It's totally like meta, right? Hey guys, Jordan and Jeremy here. We wanted to pull you away from this episode for a second to tell you about an online training we've put together to show you exactly what the fastest growing property managers in America are doing. You're gonna learn how to attract the clients you want, protect the margins in your business, and consistently set and hit meaningful sales goals each and every quarter. Now there's a simple but powerful framework that will help you do this and I'll walk you through all four steps of the framework. We started RentScale because of the gap between how much effort and process goes into the operational side of the business compared to sales and marketing. 
even though the growth function is arguably where the bulk of the value-creating potential exists for each and every business owner. The answer is going pro. The answer is operationalizing sales. And I'm not going to lie, it's really hard work. But the reward is worth the price. And that's the reason we've gone so far down the rabbit hole of property management sales. We've now built sales playbooks for over 70 property management companies. And the results have been extraordinary. I really wanted to break the art of scaling down into a proven, repeatable process that any business owner can implement. It's called the blueprint for doubling your door count in the next one to three years while replacing yourself and building a team you love. And it's totally free. You can find it online at doublemypm.com. That's doublemypm.com. PM being short for property management, of course. We basically spilled everything we do to help managers grow on this one training. So make sure to get to doublemypm.com today. Enjoy the rest of this episode, guys, and see you on the training. So here's something I've experienced before, Jason. How do we handle this? It's Q1. We say our quarterly rock is to launch a, a podcast, and we do it. But then in Q2, we forget about it. There's something new, shiny. Can we talk about, can we talk about goal stacking? Like an annual goal and how quarter goals, like it's so, I mean, there's so few companies that actually do quarterly goals. But what I get worried about, because I've done it, is a quarterly, a goal, a company can adopt these quarterly goals and they can keep changing the priority and the direction, right? And it's like, oh, we lost the podcast. No more podcasts. Like, forget about it. Like now, now we're on to like the blog and let's, let's do SEO. Can we talk about goal stacking and like quarterly goals? Like, so this to me, one of the things that's so key about this is Hawaii is actually not a goal and it's a rock. It's intentional, right? Because the goal is our quarter, is our, is our annual goal. Yeah. And we back into that annual goal by determining there are quarterly rocks that we have to achieve to hit that. So it stacks on itself. It says, we're all in agreement. The goal for the, end, the year is not to have a podcast. Right, if you were to look at our thing, we're that is not up there. The no, goal is not to launch a podcast. We have much bigger aspirations. The way we're going to get there is through an avenue like a podcast, and it's something that we're committed to. Saying this is something that's going to have to happen over the course of the year. So the rock is for us to launch this. It's not our goal; it's our rock. And I think when I think about rocks, rocks stack on each other. They're going to allow us to achieve that goal. And so as long as we're committed to that and we're keeping each other accountable, so that's why you have your weekly meetings or whatever your ecosystem or structure is, is it doesn't matter. So these tactical things are happening. And then you can assess, did we hit that? Did we not? And then when you're looking at your next rocks for the quarter, you're adjusting, you're making the right pivot. So, okay, great. We saw a lot of success. That's helping us get there. What's the, what's the next thing that's going to be, but it's about having the right goals set and then backing into the appropriate rock and then the appropriate milestones. And that's how the granular work. This is where we get into it and it's it's hard right this is where the arguments this is where trust and vulnerability all these things are so key because once we get alignment on the milestones and the scopeability of this stuff this is how you can freaking go accomplish some really big things i love this and jordan i want you to talk but what i want to make sure we transition to is we leave this event what do we expect to happen because we've all been a part of those cheap events where you work your ass off and you're sitting in a room just like we are. I'm surrounded by 3M post-it notes of a million ideas, right? How do we make sure these things get implemented? 
you know? And I want to definitely involve Jordan in this because I know he is maniacal about this thing. So when you come up with these ideas, right? Like, how do we get them done? Do we, do we just wait a quarter? Do we just get together next, next quarter and do it? I mean, you know, how do we get these things done? So I'm actually just, writing it down right now. <laughs> bring it over a sheet. So <clears throat> I just brought over one of the sheets. This is one of the questions we ask early on. And you're right, this is a question, something I'm really passionate about, trying to falsify things, meaning every rock, if you can't look at the rock and objectively tell whether or not it did or didn't happen, it's not a good rock. You have to be able to easily falsify. It has to be a binary outcome that can easily be assessed. Additionally, it's always worth asking what must be true? What are the basic pass-fail criteria? So wrapping up a two-day meeting early on, I think at the end of day one, we came up with some specific criteria. I think I'm reading off a sheet. Aligned and clear on goals and vision. Company and personal rocks. Set, assigned, and milestoned. Uh, plan for events in Q1. Specifically, that's related to travel in our case. Commitments around scoping and unplanned work. You know I love this, unplanned work. Unplanned work is every great idea that you're gonna to have tomorrow and from tomorrow through the rest of the quarter that you're either gonna do or not do based on the clarity and commitment that you have to your existing rocks. Busting rocks because you have new ideas is a death sentence. This is the quickest way to get nothing done and to have total whiplash with your team and disappointment when the next quarter comes around. So this commitment around scoping is really born out of setting goals and not hitting them, which is, it's just, it's demoralizing. Let's be frank. It's like, what's the point of doing this exercise if we had no real intention of actually sticking to it? So predicting what's gonna happen by breaking down the work is something that I keep coming back to over and over and over again. It's something that even in the context of this meeting, we did, and it's something that requires a certain level of, of openness. We were looking at a budget, we're looking at a spreadsheet, looking at, at a, uh, some financial modeling that was really important. It was determinative of our plans. Halfway through a meeting, we realized there was a, a missing variable. In this, in this specific instance, it was talking about growth of a specific product line and we were failing to factor in churn. Once we did, the results looked dramatically different. Mid-meeting, we'd already been through this exercise. We're with the team. This is a turd in a punch bowl. This is a, this is a massive inconvenience. What do you do when that comes up? Let's be honest. Jeremy, you and me, we're not above or immune from wanting to look smart in front of the team. I don't enjoy looking like a dumbass in private or in public. But in that moment, what I observed is that you did not, in this case, it was something that I found that you didn't resist it, you know, stayed open. The facts are the facts. The facts are only negative at the point that we assign some kind of a meaning. In this case, it was a buzzkill, but better to deal with it now rather than three months from now. To me, that is the magic of good meetings is a, is a high level, persistent commitment to reality that transcends what we want to have happen. And here's one way to know. I've had this experience. I've built models and forecasts, and I've had them get thrown back in my face downstream along the lines of, but the spreadsheet said such and such 
was supposed to happen and now it's not happening and I'm frustrated and I'm disappointed and there can be this expectation if you're not committed to updating it. It's not a crystal ball. It's the, it's the best information I have right now. There has to be uh, a commitment to make it tight and to make it the best thing that I have today, but still the openness to allow it to be adjusted as I gain new information. That's not easy. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there's a lot of look at. Like, you're right. The the turn the punch bowl, as we will refer to it from now on, which is a great point. Uh, I was like, hey, basically, like, if I put in these numbers, this turn can be not be terrible. Maybe these numbers we're looking at, you know, are not correct. Maybe we can't do this revenue number that we thought. So, how do you look at that, right? Do you shut down? Do you say, oh, that that'll never happen? You know, that's not a reality. Like, the future will be great. That's one way to look at it. Awesome. Probably not good. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Rose-colored glasses, right? Second thing is, oh my God, you're right. I'm so glad you found this. This is terrible. Let's let's not even try. Let's not even go after it. Like, like screw it. Like, this is so hard. It's not worth it, right? I like to call that turd-colored glasses. Like, we don't want that <laughs> as well, right? Like, how do you find it? Like, so, hey. This was an important initiative to the company. We've learned something new. What, what do we do? What, what can be different? How many ways can we poke at this? What could, what could we, in, what, what, would, what would have to be true, as my counterpart would say, or what would we have to do, as I like to say, to make sure that would never happen, right? How can we nullify this discovery? Okay, we can't, can't nullify it. Or, our idea of nullifying it is not, not there. How can we double down efforts to make you know a churn rate obsolete, right? So a churn rate is there, and we're going to do X. Do we double efforts, right? So it's this is the time. This is if you wake up every morning and you have this conversation, your business is insanity. You can't execute. There is strategy time, and there is execution time, and the more the more you know during strategy time, the more ideas you come up with. And you know what? I think that everything you brought up on that thing about churn rate and us realizing it's not happening, we had great conversations about it. We still have some work to do. We're not all the way there. But now it's basically like, okay, we're committed to the goal. We have this new reality. What are our strategies to make that happen, right? And how do we figure it out, tell the team, communicate a strategy, and then wake up on, go to work on Monday morning next week and just freaking execute a plan. Plan the work, work the plan. It is cliche, it has been overdone, but if you're planning the work in a way that we're talking about where everybody's working their ass off for four days, you believe in that plan, right? This is not just some plan that you woke up and be like, hey guys, right. talk to a consultant. Right. I downloaded the plan. They said this is what we're supposed to do. And if we make 10 calls a day, we'll be okay. No, this is our freaking plan. Like, we did this. We worked on it. We beat it. We put it in a barrel. We kicked it in the teeth. We kicked it. Yeah. Tried to kill it. <laughs> 10 different ways. No, I made the plan. Jordan kicked me in the teeth. But <laughs> I was okay with it. So we redid the plan. We took it well. right. And we did it. We did it. We did it. We replanned. We redid it. And now... The rest of the quarter is maniacal execution with our little, what did the submarines have? Periscope. Periscope. Periscope's up. 
Periscope's up. And if we see something we don't like, we say, that's okay, we got a plan. But if that gets worse and worse, the danger gets closer and closer, then we redo a plan. But that's the last case scenario. You plan the work, and then you work the plan. That's, to me, the magical, the magical box of the quarter is you can't, you can't get out-innovated in a quarter. Everyone's always like, oh, my God, the innovation is coming, disruptors. Nobody gets disrupted in a quarter, right? You get out-executed in a quarter. Jason, please link in the show notes to my new clothing brand called Periscope's Up. Periscope's Up. Yes. That, that's coming out in, in 2020. Guys, is that a men's underwear brand? I hope it is. And uh, Jason, please edit that out. Basic definition of a strategy as defined by Richard Rumlett, author of Good Strategy, Bad Strategy, The Difference in Why It Matters. A good strategy is a coherent mix of policy and action designed to surmount a high stakes challenge. Hope is not a strategy. Wishes are not a strategy. Strategy is an acknowledgement of why it's going to fail, why it's not going to work out, and what you're going to do to overcome. We are not infinitely capable of thinking, adapting, and decision-making. Will is, is finite and in short supply. Culture is a shortcut to answer complex, complicated questions easily and succinctly. Culture is what you do, not what's on a bumper sticker. In this meeting, as in every meeting, I saw some instances where we made some decisions shorthand and quickly based on culture. There was a product decision that came in front of us mid-meeting, and we waded into it. It felt heavy. It was a big potential change. In the end, it was answered on the basis of culture, not on financial modeling or yes. making money. To me, that like when culture is used in that way, it affirms its existence. When it's not used in that way, it increases the odds that it is a bumper sticker. We've all done this in other companies. How do you guys think about the proof or the evidence of culture working versus just being something you pay lip service to? I want to hear from Jason. Well, I mean, I think the, the key piece behind this is the, the massive clarity around your core values. So culture can be defined in a lot of different ways, right? So you think about culture, culture is something that, that just is, right? You're, you're, who, what that looks like, it's already there. So culture is something you pay attention to, something, culture is something you curate, something you can control. The thing you can control to, to define that culture is your core values. So I think what we came back to in that was really having clear value around who you want to be and when you start to have those questions, you start to, the litmus test is how does this align with our core values? Because that's what determines our, our culture. That's what drives us. That's the, the piece there. So when, when we get into that, I think it's the fact that that's how we live out some of these core values. Sometimes going bold doesn't always mean saying yes to everything. Sometimes going bold is saying no. Saying, you know, we could go make money this way. We could go offer this product to the, to the market. But the bold answer is actually no. Bold answer is not always yes, right? So we just we know those core values, we live those core values, and to me that's a testament of our culture. Uh, but it's because of those core values that when ideas come up, when you get into those things, since the core values have been agreed upon, we all have committed ourselves to living out these core values. That's who we are. It's who our company is. Then those decisions all of a sudden don't feel nearly as personal. Right? It's not like, oh my gosh, Jordan shot me down again because he doesn't like my idea. It's like, no, no, no. Like you can disassociate yourself because again, your identity is not wrapped up in that idea. It's about who we are as a company. It's about these core values that we agree in. 
and we not always see eye to eye on it, but that's to me how we're able to get to that place. Great, love it. And so you're hearing from somebody who is clearly a decision maker at Rentscale, not a founder, right? But a decision, a decision maker, and he's going to bring ideas. And we wanted to keep bringing ideas because you know basically most of the ideas Jason has brought us have made us a lot of money, right? <laughs> and we like that. And not only has it made us money, it's made our clients better. So I want to say that for the general public, they've been great ideas. But I'll bring an idea. It's terrible. Jordan brings a lot of ideas that are terrible. No offense. But he also brings one or two ideas every now and then that are fucking transformational, right? Like absolutely change the company. And you, you bring ideas every day, right? right. So we, we need decision filters, right? Like there, we, most of us as small businesses, we are drowning in great ideas. We just don't know where to go, right? So core values, culture, decision filters, like we talk about this all the time. Hey, we keep running up against these arguments. We keep arguing and we're not arguing over how to survive. We're arguing how to like divvy up the riches, right? It's, it's a funny thing to say, right? But we, most of the decisions we made, which is, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for, is we have all this opportunity. People are asking us to do all, people are pushing money in our face, asking us to do X. And when people are pushing money in your face, asking you X, like you owe them something, right? That, that money is not free. That money comes with the responsibility. And this is major weight, right? And this is when core values come up. And I'll, the only thing I'll, I'll add to that is the three key themes here, right? We have our, our rocks as a filter. We have our, 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 our um, culture, our core values as a filter. But that's also the value of setting an annual goal right? The three goals, the five goals, whatever it is, that becomes the same because I guarantee you guys six months from now on our, on that offsite, wherever we are, we're going to have some idea that's going to be new that we're not thinking about right now. And we're going to have to question our, and challenge ourselves and say, Hey, how is this idea going to help us achieve that goal? Yes. And it may or may not. And if it doesn't, we're going to have to then reevaluate, but because we've all had these pre uh, agreed upon concepts and ideas that we've done the hard work to hash out on yeah. we can go in and have that conversation but far too often the companies get lost because they don't have those things they don't have their core values defined the culture isn't in a place where there's trust and vulnerability among its leadership to have these types of conversations and there's not agreed upon goals and if you're missing those things in your company go figure that out because once you do now all of a sudden you have the clarity to figure out what it's going to need to happen to get there for, for the record, I like all my ideas. Everyone I ever had. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> my ideas are freaking awesome. I'm not, and I know I'm not alone. No, everyone will win, but yeah. In that, uh, but I will say though, is that sometimes killing an idea can actually feel light and freeing if you feel like it brings you closer to the truth. Nonetheless, let's talk about the concept of Nonetheless, let's con Nonetheless, let's talk about the concept of being stuck in a loop. Yes. This is a term that we kind of coined this trip, but we're all quite experienced with. Yes. Professionally, personally, in home, in work, sports, school, 
It's a very familiar idea. Looping at its essence is doubling down on an entrenched position in large part for the sake of not needing to, uh, basically of wanting to be right. Of not wanting to acknowledge that somebody else's idea is gonna come potentially at the expense of your identity to the extent that you cannot disassociate your idea or a position from your identity. There's a lot to unpack there. You and I have not come to the point of a breaking loop, but we've been caught in a, a couple loops, I think at least twice in the context of this exciting, healthy, you know, fantastic retreat yeah. where we were in a loop and we, we got out of it. But uh, to me, like there, there's, there's a lot in that. What are y'all's thoughts on getting caught on how to get out of a loop, which can be just be a death spiral? All right, I'm going to jump in this because we ran into this several times. So, you know, uh, this is almost its own episode. So it is, this is crazy. Um, this is deep. We spent five days together, right? So we spent some day, we spent a day together casually, you know, just having this fun, spent two days together, hardcore working on something, two days with the team, right? We're coming at the culmination of that. We saw how much different loops came up. It was more than one. And so loops are, in my opinion, in this instance, which I think you're believing about, or uh, basically unresolved issues, unresolved conflicts, right? So I got I got this confusion. I'm not comfortable with something. Like we talk about it, you know. Jordan's got. Let's just use Jordan as an example. Jordan's got a, a conflict. I assuage you. I basically sell you. I I up you. I persuade you. That's not a problem. But I don't really like. I don't truly address the issue, right? But I just convince you it's not a problem and move on. And then it's an unresolved issue and it keeps coming up, right? And we get back into it. And we're talking about what we're going to have for lunch. Something completely unrelated. Yeah, exactly. But then you're like, yeah, but we can't really know what we're going to have for lunch unless we figure out, like, you know, what this existential <laughs> issue. Totally something unrelated to that. And, I'm like, and then as the other part, you're like, but I thought we were just trying to figure out what we're having for lunch. <laughs> and you keep coming back to it. Anybody who's married or has kids can totally appreciate this. It's all relationships, right? And so there were several of these that came up, right? So, so Jordan, you know, uh, had some biases around like, how do you segment, you know, sales, right? Like who does what, like how to do things, you know, without going too deep and into it. I agreed with everything he said. It was all really important stuff, but we weren't really addressing it because we're not a mature enough organization to address it. Right. Like we don't have enough people. This is my this is, this is my, this is your bias. Yeah, it's my bias. Right. So my take on what he was trying to do was like, everything he was telling me was like the best freaking idea in the world. We're just not there yet. Right. And so he has conviction around it. And so I kind of say, Hey, I don't think it's there. And then I move on. Right. And then we go into some other stuff. We're talking about something entirely different. Now we're talking about marketing and some other stuff. And this little loop comes up again, right? Like, that's what it is. I'm just defining what the loop is. Because I didn't resolve it. Like, we didn't resolve it, right? And so you're like, oh, but if that idea that I had was in place, all this other stuff would have happened, right? And it comes down to trust. And ultimately, around like two or three or maybe 17 loops of this problem, like, we, you, like to us, this is what I, what I challenged Jordan on and he appreciated and what he challenges me on. I said, 
because I'm using Jordan's language. I know Jordan, he's my business partner. We've re read the same books. What are we, what are we optimizing? What's let's define the problem. What is it? What are we trying to do? And so I'm going to, I'm going to say this, Jordan, I want to hear your opinion on it. This is where, this is the gold. If you ask me, this is the gold, Jerry, this is the gold is that I was saying, what are we trying to accomplish, right? Like, what are we, what, are, how are we defining the scope of this problem? What are we trying to accomplish in our young company? And I had a feeling that Jordan just had some idea that something should be happening, but it wasn't truly an outcome that we were trying to optimize for, right? And so that's where we were debating. Once we had that conversation, we came to it and he said, well, yes, things could be optimized more. And I, we had a conversation. I said, yeah, that loop, that little problem is not a bottleneck in our company. Like that will become a problem when we're bigger. Everything you're saying is true, but we're too small for that to be a problem. That's when I felt like we came to like heads and we said, okay, we can move on from this problem. I'd love to hear your, your side of it. The solution that we used to adjudicate the problem was a lot less interesting to me than how we worked through it. We absolutely resolved it like we resolved other issues and we're going to resolve a thousand more in the future. What I observe is that the third or the fourth time discussing this from the inverse, the third or fourth time it came up, there was, there's progressively more annoyance. The more times I brought it up, the more, the more annoyed you got. So the opportunity there was for you to start making something up about it, for you to entrench, for you to resist. And we know that what you resist persists. So you could have began to make up that I was being disruptive. I wasn't respecting where you wanted to take the meeting or any number of things. But rather than that, you chose to acknowledge and to lean into. And that ultimately was what allowed us to move on. It's the acknowledgement of the other person that is more important and more significant than the minutia of the solution. The solution is irrelevant. If you're committed to this relationship over the long haul, the how of how you communicate, how you work through these things is infinitely more important than the specifics of what you're talking about. And that to me is the essence of how you work through a loop. They're unavoidable and they're going to come up in all kinds of contexts. It's just a question of are you more committed to the conversation, the relationship, and the outcome than being right about the specific subject matter that you're having a debate over? For me, when it comes up, the quickest thing to do is just to get clear on what are we really talking about? What's the real conversation? How can I acknowledge it and work through it at the deepest level as quickly as possible in order to, to get to what I want, which is a solution and something that I view as being productive. So to me, that's, that's kind of how I think about it. No, it is really good. And I feel like we need a little bit more color for this to be a useful conversation sure. for our group. So I love to wrap this conversation. This is just a testament to our partnership. I feel for Jason to sit here watching. He's like, oh my God, like this company get, going to get torn apart. But he knows better. He knows that's not going to happen because we do have a lot of trust. Which because he's your Exactly. <laughs> you and I could just remove ourselves and we'll still be fine as long as Jason's around. But it's a great point. Um, Anybody, I feel like you you brought this up, and it's a great point, because if there's one person listening to this call, to this conversation, and they have a partnership, which I've been in, I've been in good partnerships, I've been in less than good partnerships, no bad ones, luckily for me, um, there's this amazing trust there, right? And, you know, let's just, let's just call it, like, let's, let's just label everything. You and I are 50-50 partners, Jordan and Jeremy. 
Jeremy is the CEO. Like I'm responsible day to day, right? But I and yet I do most of the work. How does that work? How did that? Excuse happen? me, I don't. How did yeah, get this? exactly. This is yeah. Jason would disagree with that. <laughs> uh, this is actually a podcast episode about how Jeremy does none of the work and takes all the money, and that is really what the next episode should be about. But in the meantime, uh, it is true. It is. Um, I'm the CEO, right? So theoretically, I could have this big ego and like I'm in charge, you know, boom, 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 like you know. But I don't do operate that way because I would not be in this position without my business partner, right? I need your insight. You're going to give me like you and I have done this enough times. I've bounced out things off of Jason. I've bounced out things off of you. Like I appreciate this thing. So basically, what what it comes down to is you have biases. You have things that you think should happen. Assumptions. I have biases. I have assumptions. We butt up against each other. And so there's been this whole thing that we joke about as we do this quarterly meeting where we joke about where we challenge each other assumptions. And we do it in a, in a cute way that I learned from a mentor where somebody says, oh, well, we can't do X because of Y. And then the other person challenges and says, but can we? Like, can we not? You know, like the most basic question, like just the most basic, like is everything that you're basing this argument on true? And that's like a really fundamental thing, by the way. Total sidebar, maybe in a future podcast, by the way. But when it comes down to this, uh, essentially, when we interact, Jordan, you and I, right, we come up against each other, uh, it's so important. We trust each other, we challenge each other, and that's really what makes the relationship work. We invite our team into that. Jason's seen it. Um, luckily, Jason has been exposed to this, and he doesn't lose faith, and he doesn't think, oh, my gosh, like, the parents are fighting. This is going to be crazy. Like, do I love mom or dad? It's trust. <laughs> exactly. It's trust. They're going to figure this thing out. That's what we do. We go hard. We fight each other with, uh, with, with under the guise of trust, right? And that's that's scale culture. That's what it's about. And then we make a decision, and whatever you think is right, whatever I think is right, we commit, right? And so that's what we do. So. That's essentially it. I just wanted to walk you through that process. It's messy. It's crazy. But at some point we say, this is the decision. Everybody on the team, we either buy into it or we don't. And so that's just really what I wanted to articulate is that it's messy. There's times I don't love what we do. I have a hunch that I'm right, but we talk about it. I'm ultimately the CEO. I ultimately have veto power, but... I have a partner that I trust. I have a team that I trust. I make these decisions. I'm equally responsible for making the right decision and for, for getting buy-in. This is not consensus, right? It's not, not a total democracy. I know as the CEO, I'm ultimately in charge. I'm ultimately responsible. I'm accountable for the results. I invite everybody in. We debate. I share the decision filters. We fight. And at the end of the day, we make a decision and we execute like a family. And so that's really what I wanted, I wanted to say. Man, there's way more we could go into in relation to this meeting, but we covered some good ground, man. Hopefully that's some, some kind of candid, honest communication about what it was like. We're figuring things out in progress. We're generating some results, but the reality is that our aspiration necessitates that we continue to break things and break the mold.
it's not for everybody, but it's a choice choice in the path that we have uh, chosen to go down and it's really rewarding, but it's definitely messing and, and very much a work in progress. So hopefully you got something out of this. If you are in a founder dynamic duo, or if you're not, you're thinking about doing EOS or not, or if you're just thinking about trying to move forward and grow a business, knowing that there's a lot of uncertainty ahead of you, Hopefully you got something out of this conversation and you'll kind of stay with us in this journey. We're going to continue to be candid and open and honest and share what we have figured out and what we haven't. Uh, we'll see you guys on the flip side.